I want to give out some AB Awards tonight because there's so many people that make this, this happen on a weekly basis, and I'm really, really grateful. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Ryan. I've been a part of Good Life for 10 years, and uh, it, it is just so awesome to be here. It's not often that you get to do your new job at your old job, and it's pretty cool. But uh, I just want to say thank you to Mike uh, and the team. Thank you, Mike. I want to honor you and, and your leadership, and not only that, but your friendship, and say thank you for the opportunity to share about Compassion and what we're doing together as a partnership. But I'm just really, really grateful for how you have traveled the last year and a half, not only in my life, but here at the church, and I'm really grateful for that. I want to say thanks to Greg. Greg, you're awesome, and you're like the Energizer Bunny. I want to be like you. I want to have the energy that you have, and I'm just also really, really grateful for Hannah. So thank you for worship tonight, Hannah. But the biggest AB Award I want to give is to a guy who's running the camera at the moment, a guy named Amos. Can we give it up for Amos? He's, the, he's like the silent assassin of helpers. Like, he just makes it happen week in and week out, and really, really grateful for him. And that's not just because he got me a coffee this morning, although it might have something to do with it. Uh, I'm uh, really, really great, grateful to be here. Uh, I just love to pray to start, if that's okay. Father God, thank you uh, for the opportunity to jump into your word, to, to dig into what you're doing here in the heart of good life and, and just what it means to be involved here and to be a part of your kingdom. But God, I'm also grateful that I can share about the impact that good life's having through their partnership with Compassion. And so God, thanks for that. God, I pray that, that you would open our hearts to your word today to see how, how we can be the people that you've called us to be, the people that you've redeemed us to be, God, thank you that, that you have a plan and a purpose for each of us. And so I just pray as, as we move from, from this space, from worship into the message, that, that you would speak to our hearts, God, that your Holy Spirit would come, that you teach us and train us in all, all of your ways and all of your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, so I want to talk just quickly about our partnership here at, at uh, Good Life. Good Life is partnering with Compassion in the country of Indonesia. And so we'll see a map come up, and it's got a little red dot on it, and that little red dot signifies Medan. And so we partner in the area of Medan and also in an island called uh, Nias. And so we have a bunch of churches that, that we partner with there through Compassion to sponsor children. And the really cool thing that I get to share with you tonight is over the 25 years or so, maybe even more, that Good Life's been partnering with Compassion, over the last maybe six years, we've been really significantly looking into this area to build relationship, to, to sponsor kids from this area. We've even visited two different times, and it's been awesome. But we now sponsor 402 children from that, from that partnership all over Indonesia and around the world. That's actually an old number because this morning, uh, I think about 20 profiles went out. I don't know how many were, were followed through with, but I'll bet by tomorrow we're probably up to about 420, including tonight. So I'm really excited about that. But the impact that, that we're making with that is, is not just financially, it's through relationship, right? This, this partnership that we have, it starts out with a financial transaction, but it moves into something so much more powerful than that. Uh, when, when I started with Compassion, I thought I knew what, what poverty was, right? And, and I began to quickly learn that 
what I knew about poverty only sort of scratched the surface. I thought it, it was simply going without, but it's so much deeper than that, right? It's, it's without hope. It's without a voice. It's without someone to advocate for them. It's without resources. And, and as we dig into that, we see that relationship, the way compassion works is to connect one sponsor with one child, someone like you, someone like me, and to develop a relationship with them, to pray for them, to share with them your life. And as they share their life with you, you begin to build something that's really meaningful. And, and good life, I'm, I'm super stoked about this. The next slide shows the letters that we've written over the last 12 months between sponsored children and sponsors, which I've never seen numbers this good. And what I'm talking about is the ratio. It's almost one-to-one, 3,015 letters that we've sent as a church, and then 3,294 letters sent as kids in different projects. Normally, when I go to churches, what I see is is the best-case scenario is usually one-to-three. Sponsors will send one letter to kids sending three, and sometimes it's even as low as one-to-five. But I'm super pumped that this is almost one-to-one. It's an impact that you're making. You're, you're sharing your life with these children, and it, it's a beautiful thing. If you have never heard about the work of compassion, it, it, it's, it's a simple kind of uh, process that, that we use. We call it the three C's. And on the screen, you'll see that, that what we do is it's child-focused, right? So we want to holistically serve children. Children uh, that, that need health care, need education, need friendship and mentorship, and also need to be introduced to Jesus. And so we focus on the child one-to-one. But not only that, it's, it's church-based. So Compassion doesn't have projects all over the world in these 25 different countries. It partners with churches that are already doing the work of the kingdom in these communities. There's no big Compassion signs. It's lived out through a local church and a local ministry. And we really appreciate how, how that brings transformation to these places. There's, there's no us going in and going to fix things. They're already working on these things already. And so it's very cool to see that we work through local people in local places. But most importantly, it's, it's Christ-centered, right? At, at the end of the day, we're always going to be an organization that says we release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Right? So many times we've heard the story that if we were just to take that tagline off, more people would give more money because it, it, it's, it's less offensive. But for us, Jesus is at the heart of this transformation. Right? This is a, a, a transformation not only of financial things but of spiritual things. And so we want to introduce kids to Jesus, communities to Jesus, families to Jesus. This relationship with God begins and ends in Jesus' name. And so we're, we're committed to that, and we're really excited that that's how we want to do business, right? There's no other way for us to do business. And so the impact that we're having here at Good Life is amazing, and I'm so grateful. But maybe you've never, never seen or heard what this is like, and you're wondering, you know, is, does this even work? What's this really like? Uh, so I've got a video that I'd love to show you. It's about some, some kids that had gone through the program, and then they've, they've grown into adults, and they're writing their sponsors one last letter. Let's go ahead and have a look. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I recently got to meet um, a young Thai girl named Newt. She had gone through the entire program with compassion and went through what we call the leadership development. And then she got accepted into a Bible school in New Zealand. And she just finished up three years of 
of Bible school in New Zealand and was headed home. And she stopped here in Queensland to meet with some friends. And so we got to spend some time with her. And um, it, it, was, it was amazing to kind of see because, you know, I've seen these videos. And they're emotional, right? They're, they're kind of in your face. But what was so cool about meeting Newt was it was like the video walked off the screen and into my life. And I got to see firsthand what it was like for her to hear from her, you know, what, what her experience was like as a compassion child and now someone who is involved in ministry in her local church. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to advocate for kids like Newt, to share, to, to share their stories, to, to invite more people to be a part of what it looks like for us here in Australia to be a good neighbor to those people that are around us, that are connected to us in our center, but also outside of our homes, outside of our streets and around the world. And I'm really grateful that Mike gave me the opportunity to speak tonight kind of in this series that we're looking at Proverbs, right? And, and so the, the Proverbs that, that we're looking at are these 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 words of wisdom that invite us into the tension of living life as a disciple of Jesus, right? And, and I think that that's the, the, the big deal for us is that there's this tension of, of what we read in the scriptures and then the playing out of that scripture in our life, the transformation that happens in our own lives, right? And, and how that plays out and what that looks like and how quickly we go from maybe knowing what's right to actually acting and engaging on what the scriptures say. And so tonight, that's what I want to talk a little bit about is what does it look like for us to be a good neighbor, whether that means being a good neighbor metaphorically in our own home or in our jobs or as people of God around the world, what does it look like? And so I'm really, really pumped to, to share with you about the story of the Good Samaritan, but first I want to start in, in Proverbs chapter 3. I love Proverbs. My dad got me into Proverbs as a young kid. He said, there's one for every day. Just read one every day. And I remember going through them and, and marking my Bible up. And my favorite was Proverbs 31.6. It says, give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. And my dad said, that's not what it means. You can't have alcohol yet. So I was like, well, I'm not reading these anymore. But in Proverbs 3, 20 to 27 to 30, this is what it says. And, and I love how Eugene Peterson writes it. And I, I'm just going to read it to you. It's not going to be on the screen. But this is, this is really, I, wa I want us to catch the heart of this. And if we leave tonight, I, I hope this is, is where we land. Because this kind of helps us launch into this space of, of living out this tension of what the Proverbs mean. They're not promises that are going to get fulfilled in our life every day. It's an invitation to wisdom. And this is what they are. It says this in, in verse 27 to 30. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. This next part is, is so key. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Don't tell your neighbor some other time, perhaps, or, or try me tomorrow when the money's right there in your pocket. Don't figure out ways of taking advantage of your neighbor when he's sitting there trusting and unsuspecting. So for us, what does it look like for us to engage in this idea of being a good neighbor? 
I think this verse here in, in Proverbs 3 is a good place to start. Our hand is the hand of God for our neighbor. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells this amazing story. It's probably the gold standard of the, the stories in the Bible of what it means to love people, right? But the way it starts is a little bit interesting. And as we look at what it means to be a, a good neighbor, I want to start there. It starts in verse 25, and it's on the screen. It says, One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I think if we're going to dig into this, the first thing that, that we need to identify is this invitation to simplicity over complexity. Right? And, and what I mean by this is that we have this thing called a complexity bias. Faced with two competing hypotheses, we're likely to choose the most complex one. We love complexity. But what Jesus does is Jesus takes these very complicated things and he asks really good questions to simplify what they mean. And this is different than reduction. I'm not talking about reducing things down to where they don't mean anything anymore. We have to ask ourselves good questions to move from our tendency to choose complex things into what's the most simple way for me to walk this out in the world that I live in today. How do I get into the way of Jesus in a simple way so that others will know who he is and how good he is and how much he loves them? Uh, I think this example is, is a good one, and you might, you might disagree, because you, maybe you're not a coffee lover. I love coffee, right? I'm a big fan of coffee, probably not as big a fan as Greg. Greg's machine is like a Lamborghini. Mine's probably more like a, a Ford Escort, but it's awesome. I love it, right? I, I find the best beans that I can find, freshest, single origin, man, I love the ones from South America, I love African, like all these different single origin beans, it excites me, I love it. And then a couple years ago, my wife bought me this grinder for our, our anniversary, and I can adjust the grind, right, down to like the most complex, minute, right, just so fine or so coarse, depending on what kind of coffee I want that day. And then we got this machine for, for Christmas that's like, for as drip coffee machines go, I know I'm American, sue me, right? But drip coffee is where it's at. And this drip coffee machine, right, like it, it controls everything. The temperature of the water, how much water goes through, at what rate, the weight of, of the coffee beans and the water and the time. It takes me 25 minutes to brew one cup of coffee. It's complex, right? My son Jack, he loves coffee too. And I think he thinks I'm a little bit crazy because he took 20 bucks and went to Facebook Marketplace and got a pod machine and has a cup of coffee in about 25 seconds. Right? Just because something's complex doesn't make it better. We have to ask ourselves the questions that get us to that place of simplicity on the other side of complexity. Right? And maybe coffee's not your thing, but Jesus is, is, is asking us these questions and it almost seems as if the, this expert 
who, who knows so much about the law, has done this amazing thing by asking this question, and who is my neighbor? I might be reading a little bit too much into it, but it almost seems as if he, he's asking this question of Jesus about eternal life so he can show how much he knows about the law. And Jesus says, no, actually, it's, it's, it's so simple. Do this and you will live. And the guy's like, no, I, I need to take it one step further. And I'm glad that he did for our sake. And I hope for his sake as well. Because this is how Jesus responds. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side and he passed him by. Then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. What a response to this incredibly deep question that takes us to a place of, of deeper understanding of what it means to be a neighbor. This story, uh, like understanding the, the, the context of it, the, the Pharisees and these religious scribes and leaders would have been so upset at Jesus making the hero of this story a Samaritan man. When it says despised, like take that to level 10, right? The Jewish folks who were in power, even though they were occupied, they looked down on the Samaritans in such a terrible way. This would have made people angry. As Jesus is telling this story, just imagine yourself getting angry as you hear it, right? And so when he gets to the end of the story and he asks the man, which one of these three showed him was a good neighbor? It would have been through gritted teeth that this religious expert would have said the Samaritan. The Jewish folks were so interested in their heritage and their standing, and, and probably a little bit rightfully so, but the way in which they, it made them look at outsiders was, was never a part of the plan of God. Jesus challenges us in this story with his limitless love. The, the teacher, the expert of the law, he had a limited capacity, but Jesus' capacity for love was limitless. Jesus challenges them, and he challenges us with this idea of his way of love. And it's because of this limitless love that Jesus shows us how to be a good neighbor by meeting people where they're at. So we start by, by choosing simplicity over complexity, or on the other side of it, and then we choose to meet people where they are. I'm so grateful that Jesus meets us where we're at. He doesn't stand off at a distance and, and say, you need to come to me. No, he says, I'm going to come to you. 
I love how Paul writes in, in Romans where he says, while we were of no use to him, he died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? Jesus meets us where we're at, and he's telling us this story about a Samaritan man who met this broken and battered person right where they were. He came to where the man was, Jesus said. And Jesus does the same for us. He calls us into a relationship. He invites us to follow him, to watch how he lives, to watch how he does it, to eat with him at his table, to see how he opens up the kingdom to us through his word. Jesus meets us where we are, and he invites us to meet others where they are. As a good neighbor, we, we meet people where they're at. We recognize people's pain, and we choose to engage with it. That's the third thing I think that this tells us, is that we meet people where they're at, and we choose to engage with where they're at and help them. It says, by chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side and passed him by. And then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Right? Like this is, this is a tough one for me because as a pastor, and it, it would be like if, if, we were to, if, if Mike and I were walking down the road and we saw you beaten up and bruised and battered, we would look at you knowing you needed help and then decided not to help. Like that's hard for me to swallow. But you know what? There was a time when that wasn't hard for me to swallow. I have a friend named Adam. I didn't, I didn't tell this story in the first service, but Adam is the guy who helps everyone. Like, he goes out of his way to help people. And Adam had lost his job, and so I got him a job working with me, counting traffic. How good is that? <laughs> counting cars. It's good money. Who knew? And we, we did a trip about an hour and a half away from home where we were gone for a few nights, and we were driving along, and we had worked all day, and I was really tired. And we came across a, a, a broken-down car on the side of the highway, and Adam's like, we got to stop, right? And I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> like, we do not have to stop. And he's like, yeah, we got to stop. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think we have to stop. Like, let's just go back to the hotel, man, and get some dinner. He's like, no, no, we, we need to stop. And so he was driving, so we stopped. <laughs> and, you know, they needed help. They needed a, a ride to the auto shop, and they needed all kinds of stuff. And it took us a few hours to help him out. And, and you'd think by the end of it, like, my heart would have softened and changed seeing Adam interact with these people and, and provide them help. And you know, at that time in my life, you know, I just was like, Adam, I'm driving from now on, right? Like, it, it, it's, it's sometimes really easy to get to the point where we don't see the brokenness, where we don't see the hurt, where we choose not to engage with the brokenness that's around us because it can be overwhelming. But understanding that Jesus met us where we are, we can choose to engage, we can choose to live differently. We can choose to engage in this self-sacrificial way of love. This is the paradox of generosity over self-interest. 
This is what we're invited into in the life of Christ. And I don't know if you um, know the story of how compassion started, right? But it, it, it's now been over 70 years, right? We've gone from, in 70 years, working with one church to over 8,500 churches, right? From just a few children, orphans in Korea, to now over 2.1 million children that are being pulled out of, uh, you know, the, the poverty because of the partnerships that we have. But it all started because one man decided to engage, right? During the Korean War, Everett Swanson was, was reading all the newspapers and watching the, the news, uh, you know, six o'clock in the night on TV about how the people were dying in Korea. And he was an evangelist. He's like, I got to tell these people about Jesus. If they're going into war, I got to go over there and tell them about Jesus because who knows what's going to happen to people in war. It's just terrible. And so he goes to Korea and he's going to share you know, with the soldiers, and it's wintertime, and he's walking down the street, and he's got a, a big overcoat in his hand, and, you know, a young person comes and just grabs it and takes off running. So he chases after him. He's just a normal pastor from Oklahoma. He doesn't have a bunch of coats. So he chases him down, follows him, you know, through alleys and side buildings, and then he turns the corner, and there's his coat on the ground, right? And he goes to pick the, the coat up, and underneath the coat is just a starving child just freezing. And he begins to see, right, around this building, all these kids orphaned from the war. No place to sleep, no food to eat. And it, it wrecked him. He goes about his business. He, he tells people about Jesus. He, he tries to help the children. He buys food. He, he gets blankets and whatever he can scrounge. And you know, he goes back to where, where these kids were, and he realizes there's a bunch of them there. And it's getting so cold that almost every morning children are dying and soldiers are coming to pick them up and take them away. And it just wouldn't leave him. And he gets on the plane to go back home and the engines of the plane, the story goes that the engines of the plane begin to almost speak to him. But he knew it wasn't just the engines, it was the Lord, right? It was God sharing with him. And over and over again, he would hear these words, now that you've seen what will you do? Now that you've seen, what will you do? He couldn't get it out of his head. And so he's back home and he's sharing with a friend what he saw, what he experienced. And that friend opens a, a drawer and pulls out a check and said, I wrote this check for $1,000 ages ago because the Lord told me that I was going to use it to, to seed into a ministry that helped the widows and the orphans. And that became the first donation to Compassion Right, and now we're 70 years in, over 2.1 million children are being helped, being loved, being released from poverty. Someone chose to engage, and I'm grateful that he did, because now we get to share these stories. We get to tell people what it looks like to engage with this work of compassion. Jesus inverted the, the prevailing paradigm by telling a story about a Samaritan having compassion on a Jewish person. He showed us what a good neighbor meets us where we're at. A good neighbor chooses to engage, and he invites us into true significance. That's the kingdom of God, bringing heaven here and now. For us, what, what might it look like to engage? Can we meet people where they're at? Can we live out this, this simplicity of the gospel, understanding our need for Jesus and using what, what God has given us to help others? None of us can do this on our own. 
We all need a Savior. Just like the kids need someone to help them, we need a Savior. I remember when I was, I was about five or six, and uh, I, I had gone over to my uncle's house, and we loved going to my uncle's house in the summer because he had a pool. But I didn't know how to swim, and you know, I'd get on the inner tube or whatever and have fun. But my uncle found out I couldn't swim, and so he, he just picked me up and threw me in the deep end. Like, my dad wasn't there, they probably would have gotten in a fight. But there I am, like, just thrashing in the water. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to swim. I'm spitting and sputtering. And you know what I didn't need was someone on the side of the, the, the pool just giving me instructions on, on how to do a better freestyle stroke. I didn't need a group of people getting together to pray about whether or not they should save me. Right? I, didn't need, uh, I didn't need someone on the sidelines you know, cheering me on because I wasn't going to make it. Right? I needed someone to reach their hand down and pull me up out of the water. That's exactly what happens when we choose to engage in being a good neighbor. That's exactly what happens when we choose to tell people about Jesus, this relationship that we have with him. It's exactly what happens when we choose to sponsor a child. We say, I see the struggle you're in. I see the pain you're in. I'm not going to walk past. I'm going to be the hand of God to you. I'm not going to move to the other side of the road. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to build a relationship with you. I'm going to share with you my life, and I'm going to hear about yours. I'm going to make sure that I financially support you and help you get to a better place in life. And that's our invitation tonight as a church, to make an impact. Whether it's here on team on a Sunday night, helping out, greeting, setting up, packing down, or maybe it's up at the Lifehouse, helping you know, get people stuff here on the coast. Or maybe it's joining with us in mission, whether it's with Compassion or Overseas Missions. I, I would love you to consider sponsoring a child tonight and all that it would bring to their life. It's $48 a month, which comes down to about $1.60 a day. You know, and if we, if we were to look at the, the grand scheme of things, would that $1.60 make a big difference to us? Probably not. I mean, I can speak for myself. It wouldn't. But would it make a difference to them? Absolutely it would. You know, maybe you can sponsor some. Maybe you are. Thank you. Huge thank you to you to, that you're a part of the 402 I'm so grateful for that. But maybe you can sponsor another. Maybe you've got room for one more. Maybe you've got room for, for one more family to eat from your table. Room for one more compassion child to become part of your family. To sit under the shade and protection that your blessing could provide. Or maybe you're in a different situation and you can help launch a center or a project. There's all sorts of ways that we can get involved in like Nellie said on the video, you could even buy a card for your mom for Mother's Day, and that would help, right? That goes to the Unsponsored Children's Fund. They sell cards every day to help with those kids that have yet to be sponsored, right? We, we, we can help at every level. One of the, the biggest deals that's happened through the, the pandemic is now, that, now that, that we've kind of spent the last three years with this craziness, over 648 million people across the globe live on less than $3.11 a day. Can you imagine that number, 648 million people? If you take Australia, New Zealand, the United States, and the United Kingdom, we don't even come close to that number. 
of population, of people that live on less than $3. I know that I like to buy a coffee a day, right? I get a cup of coffee whether I'm making it at home or getting it at a cafe. For less than the price of a cup of coffee a day, we can support three children. It's an amazing fact that we can lift three kids out of poverty, that, that we can get them an education, that we can make sure that they've got healthy, nutritious meals, that, that they can have medical checkups, that they've got a mentor, and most of all, that they're introduced to Jesus. I want to introduce you to, to Christo. This is Christo. This is uh, one of our Compassion Children. And I love this picture because he's just like the coolest dude anyway. But the first picture... We, we sponsored him at a Compassion Sunday here at Good Life in, I think, 2021. Claire Steele came, our CEO, and, and shared. And, and when I was on staff on a Sunday, I rarely made it outside, right, <laughs> anytime soon. And so beforehand, I went to the table and was like, we're going to get a kid today. We're going to sponsor a kid. I've got three boys in my family, so we, I wanted a girl. And so I found a girl, and I thought everyone's going to be cool with this. And by the time I made it out to the table, my son Charlie was like, Dad, we got we to gotta sponsor Christo. And he, he, had, he had the picture, right? He was like nine years old, and he's like doing a pose. Like the only kid I've ever seen doing a pose on a, on a profile, right? And, and Charlie's like, Dad, like he's the coolest, right? And, and I'm like, okay, like, but like I picked a girl already. And he's like, Dad, this is the one. We, and can I just tell you, Charlie makes me a better person. <laughs> he's like, Dad, he's been waiting the longest. I'm like, okay, buddy, you're going to write some serious letters. We'll do it. And I'm so glad I did, right, because we got this second picture about a year later. And what I realized was is I've been to this church. Like, I, I, I know the pastor, Pastor Johnny, right? I, I'm, I was so pumped when we got to this project. Like, we parked a little bit down the street, but you could hear, you could hear it before you even got there. There's like 200 kids just running around, laughing, playing soccer, playing basketball, playing games, just listening to music. It, it was the most amazing thing. And getting to know the pastor, right? He's like, we, we so love what we do for our community. Like, they've got this community garden. It, it's got so much stuff in it that they give it to the community, but they also feed the children with it, right? They have a hydroponic fish farm because getting protein for kids in third world countries is very, very challenging. And so they're, they're growing fish. We had a whole lunch that was just things that they grew in their garden and farmed with their fish. It was amazing. And he would show us around. They, they built a, uh, this soccer basketball court where kids could play sports. And you know what was, was awesome was they had started on a church building, but it was still empty because they were more concerned with making things and buying things and, and putting things into practice for their community rather than building a building that only got used on a Sunday. I was like, I can resonate with that. The community matters. People matter. That's the heart of what we do here at Good Life. It's the heart of, of what we do with compassion. And so I was really excited to, to get to know Christo, and we, we are getting to know him, right? Like, he's, he's only 10, so our letters to him are 
Like I went to the dentist and it was scary. I'm like, dude, I understand. I'm still scared by the dentist. Right? And <laughs> the last one we got was we had our medical checkup and I'm a very healthy boy, except I got some lotion for a rash. <laughs> I was like, you're the man, Christo. I love you. But you know what? Every time we send a letter, we're like, we believe in you. We're praying for you. We look forward to getting to know you better as you grow up and you begin to figure out what, what life's like for you and who God called you to be. It's an awesome opportunity. So if you've got any questions, I'd love to meet with you after and, and share a little bit with you about the journey of what it looks like. If you've got any questions or concerns, I'm, I'm more than happy to have a chat. But Can we pray? Father God, thank you for God, just your word as we open it up. God, help us to be your hands and your feet. Help us to be Jesus in our communities, in our homes, in our workplaces. God, help us to be good neighbors. God, help us to be generous with our, our, our finances, but also help us be generous with our relationships. God, we love you and we thank you that, that you are drawing us deeper into this formation of being in the way of Jesus and his way of love. That's true discipleship. And so we love you and we thank you for your word and pray that it would find a home in our heart tonight as we move from this place into all that you've invited us into this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.